Well, good morning, everyone. Really smart of you just to come to the second service and kind of get some of that sleep back. But kudos to the nine o'clock crowd. I was also packed in here at nine o'clock. People, it's freezing outside today as well. Listen, if you're uh, newer with us, uh, my name is Jason Malone. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Fellowship Greenville. I also serve as pastor of vision and spiritual formation. Want to thank you so much for joining us today, uh, whether you're here with me in person over in Auditorium 2, or if you are joining us online today, thanks so much for taking time to worship with us. If you are a guest, welcome. Uh, If you have any questions about Fellowship Greenville, You can stop by guest services out in the commons area after the service where there are lots of friendly people who would love to answer any and all questions that you have about Fellowship Greenville. You can also use the QR code, which is located at the seat in front of you. You can uh, hit that and uh, find out more information about the church. You can also fill out a guest card right there online. Let me take just a moment and state what might be obvious to so many of you, especially over the last couple of months, and it is this. There are a lot of people worshiping at Fellowship Greenville. And we are so thankful for new people that are looking to get plugged into our church family. We're thrilled. Uh, that so many who are at home for a season are back and worshiping with us in person. Uh, I made a comment on a Sunday morning back uh, this past fall uh, when I looked directly at the camera, kind of like this. And then I said uh, something along these lines. If, if you're worshiping at home simply because it's easier or more convenient for you, we really miss you and we would love for you to come back. And what was interesting was uh, the number of conversations that I've had over the last couple of months who folks were at home and they were honest with themselves and they said, yeah, that's the reason I am currently at home, just because it's easier or because it's more convenient. So I'm glad folks are coming back in that regard. And we know this, we know that we don't desire for those that call Fellowship Home to use online as an excuse not to come to worship. But there are a lot of people who are using what I think is a really great online experience if they're sick or if they're unable to join us for a medical reason or if they're on vacation. That happens every week. People are on vacation and they still tune in and they're a part of the service. Also this, and you may not know this, one of the ways that our online option is being most utilized is people who are moving to the area that are looking for a church home. They're checking it out online before they come and they join us in person. We're hearing that almost every week. Like they aren't even living here yet. They just know they're moving to Greenville. They're somewhere else in the country or the world and they're checking it out. And that could be happening right now. You may be somewhere else around the US of A and you're gonna be moving to Greenville and you're checking out Fellowship Greenville. Come on, we'd love to have you. So I wanted to say that. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Mike. I appreciate it. I knew you'd be excited about it. There's a multitude of ways that we're growing and with more people joining us, We have this opportunity before us that I would love for us to lean into during this season if Fellowship Greenville is your your home, like during the season of growth. And this this is what I would ask. Would you please consider taking your next step here at Fellowship Greenville so that others can step in here at Fellowship Greenville? In order for us to keep making space for those that are joining us, we need everyone who would call Fellowship Greenville home to be taking their next step in belonging here and plugging in here and serving here so that others 
who are new to the area or just new to our church family can step in. And in doing so, our hope and prayer is that they would find a community of grace, passionately pursuing life and mission with Jesus. A few examples, but not limited to. If you've been dropping your kids off in fellowship kids for months and months, and for some of you years and years, and you've often walked away and had this thought, maybe we should serve and invest in our own kids and other kids like people have been doing for us and our kids. We'd love to have you on the team. If you've been pulling in the parking lot, walking through open doors, grabbing a cup of coffee for months and months, and for some years and years, and you've noticed a friendly face saying, welcome, we're so glad that you're here today. And you've thought to yourself, we could welcome people like that, like we've just been welcomed. I think we're kind of friendly. Are we friendly? And if you've concluded that you are, we would love to have you join the team. If you stepped into a community group and found a group of people living on mission that also care for one another and they're instrumental in each other's spiritual formation and you've thought, you've actually had this thought, I wonder how all the new people that are coming to Fellowship Greenville are getting connected. I wonder if they need more community group leaders who get the DNA of fellowship. Yes, yes we do. And that is just a snapshot of the possibilities of serving and plugging in. There's so many different ways. But the key to making room is not simply adding some chairs. We can do that. Or adding another service. That's been done before. Or looking at the staff team here at Fellowship and go, wow, how about all these people? We're really praying for you guys. That's probably a lot. It's actually everyone who calls Fellowship home taking their next step. And in doing so, we will be creating space for people to step in which I'm praying would continue to happen. I say all of that to say, out in the commons area, there's a couple of tables called next steps. And if you're interested and Fellowship Greenville is your home and you wanna take your next step and plug in in here, serving here, actually belonging here, then stop by that table. We think by you doing that, like so many who have gone before you have done, <laughs> that uh, we'll be able to continue to welcome people into our fellowship here. So this morning, I have the opportunity to pick up uh, in our study through the book of Judges. That's right. We're growing like crazy while studying through Judges. What a thing. What a thing. Uh, you can go ahead and turn in your uh, Bibles to Judges chapter 6. I hope you've been enjoying the study. I'm thankful for Charlie and for Jim, the messages they've taught uh, and brought over the past few weeks. If you've missed any of them, you can hear them online. As you turn in your Bibles to Judges 6, because like I said, that's where we're going to pick up. As you turn there, I want to remind you of a few things that I think are always important when walking through stories, especially stories of the Old Testament. And the primary thing I want to remind you of is this. You, I, we, you are not the character of the story that is being taught and talked about. So I just want to remind you of that. And the reason I say that is because some of you grew up hearing talk, pastors talk about how you're David and your life is full of Goliaths and you need to pick up your stones and slay the Goliaths of your life. Or maybe you heard, hey, you're Ruth and you just need to pray and wait on your Boaz. And I'm so sorry if that's how you've heard the Old Testament talked about. And that really applies in our study through Judges as well. You aren't Ehud 
with figurative swords strapped to your right thigh, ready to stab the heavy things of life. You are, thank you so much. You aren't, this is, we're tired this morning, but this story, anyway. You're the prophetess, Deborah, you're not her, or Jael, who drove a tent peg, like you're not driving a tent peg into the problems of your life. And today we're gonna be talking about Gideon. And so I just wanted to get ahead of it. You aren't Gideon. So there's no need to get your fleece ready for the big decision that is coming up that you need to make. The other thing that I wanna remind you of is that when we are walking through the Bible, in any book of the Bible, as a matter of fact, we are reminded of who God is. As we just sang about, that he is faithful, right? We're reminded of what's wrong with the world. We're reminded of the human condition, which is so relatable because we're human. And we're reminded and encouraged by what God was and is doing about it all in and through Jesus Christ. So my point is this, when Charlie points out the idolatry of the children of Israel from a few weeks ago, we get that, that resonates with us because we too struggle with idolatry of the heart. When Jim last week talks about how at times there is a frustration in our wrestling with faith and dependence upon God, we relate to that because we have been there. And so we pick up today, we read some of the same words that we've already read a few times as we've gone through Judges. Look at verse one of chapter six, it says this. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And this comes after what we see at the end of chapter five. The end of chapter five, it said, the land had peace for 40 years. So after 40 years of peace, The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And it is this idea of here we go again. By now, if you've been with us through this study, you're familiar with the cycle that we've seen throughout Judges. We keep coming back to that on purpose, sin, discipline, distress, grace, deliverance, and peace. So while we're not living in the time of the Judges, and we're not a judge, I think we do see something for us to contemplate even before we jump in on looking at the life of Gideon that speaks to who God is. We are reminded of his presence. We are reminded of his promises. And we are reminded of our proclivity to forget and to be prideful. Just like the children of Israel. We have some of the exact same tendencies, don't we? When I read through these stories and accounts throughout Judges, What I'm reminded of is that there's a difference between regret and true repentance. There's a difference between remorse because of the consequences of our choices and real repentance which leads to true life change. When we're only remorseful the consequences of our choices drive us to attempt to make changes until when? Until the consequences of our choices go away. And then, in our forgetfulness and in our pride, we're back to doing what we were doing. We see that throughout Judges. I think it's relatable to how some of us may at times walk through life, right? Like if we're honest, that we see it in our own lives. But again today, we will see the presence and promise of God as we study the life of Gideon and be reminded that true life change is actually found in him. So here we go, chapter one, uh, chapter six, verse one says this. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east, they would come up against them. Verse four says, they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep, no ox, no donkey. Verse five says, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number, both they and their camels. They couldn't be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. Verse six says, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Now, there's a lot we're going to be covering over the next few chapters. I'm not going to read everything and I'm not going to be able to unpack everything. But I wanted to read these first few verses to set up this this incredible story of Gideon. Because of the forgetfulness and pride of the Israelites, because of remorse and not true repentance, Eventually, they are back to their old ways of doing things how they were doing things, which was what? Worshiping foreign gods. And so we see that the Midianites and the Amalekites are ravaging their land. We've already seen the Amalekites show up in Judges 3 in our Ehud story. And the Midianites, they had been a problem all the way back to the days of Moses. So there's some history here. But what's so difficult about this situation in this moment in time that we just read is it's not that these folks are showing up and occupying the land and telling everybody to figure out how to mingle amongst them and do life amongst them. Actually, what's happening is they're just showing up at time and they're plundering the land. They keep showing up and taking everything like a swarm of locusts, it says. And so this has led the Israelites to be living up in the mountains and in the caves and in the dens. And you know what you can't do in the mountains and the dens? You can't grow crops. You know what else you can't do in the mountains and the dens? You can't have livestock. You know what else you can't do in the mountains and the dens? Is you can't actually sustain life. These aren't livable conditions. Things are desperate. And in the midst of the crying out and in the midst of the uh, desperation, the Lord gives them what? Deliverance? Not right away. Another judge? Not immediately. What does he give them? He gives them a reminder, a history lesson, a sermonette. Look at verse seven, if you would. What he gives them is a reminder of his presence and his promises. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, verse eight says, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel and he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt, brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of all who oppressed you, drove them out before you, gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God, you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. This little uh, sermonette history lesson reminder is incredibly uh, God-centric. I led you up. I brought you out. I delivered you. I drove them out. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. I have been with you. Presence, promise. Yet they don't repent. And guess what? Because of who God is, he still sends them 
a deliverer. Because, and I just want to remind you of this, I don't want to rush past it. Because there are glimpses of God's grace all over the pages of Scripture. Even in the really difficult and dark times. Even in our forgetfulness and our pride. So let's meet Gideon. Verse 12 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, him being Gideon, who verse 11 tells us is hiding out in a wine press threshing wheat. Uh, I don't know how many of you are uh, regular threshers of wheat. Um, Probably not many, I don't know. But uh, just to let you know if you're not uh, up on this, because I'm I'm an expert at it. um, Most of the time when you're threshing the wheats, you're doing that outside, not inside, right? So he is taking his outside work and he is bringing it inside because why? People are coming and attacking and plundering, right? It would be the equivalent of you in your neighborhood and there was a bully in your neighborhood who kept taking all of your, I don't know, fellas, taking all of your power tools while you were outside doing power tool things. Let's say you needed to make a fence and he comes and he takes your saw and he takes your lumber. And so you take your saw and you take the lumber and you go into the living room and you start building your fence. And your wife's like, what's going on? And you're like, well, there's some bullies out there. This is what's happening in this moment, okay? He's hiding inside doing outside work on the inside because they keep coming and taking everything, all right? And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and this is what he said to him in verse 12. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor, who is doing work inside. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? Hit pause. Did you hear that? Does that sound familiar to you? The angel of the Lord says something really encouraging to Gideon. What does he say? The Lord is with you. Reminded of the Lord's presence. We see it again. Oh, mighty man of valor. And the response is what? You're with me? Then why are things playing out like they're playing out? And again, I'm not Gideon, you're not Gideon. But I gotta tell you, there's stuff that I read here that go, man, that resonates with me. Does that resonate with you? Have you ever said that to God? I've said that to God. How often have you looked at the trouble and the pain and suffering in this life as God leaving you or forsaking you or forgetting about you or being indifferent towards you? Like if we're honest in this moment, some of you have walked in today and that's actually what you're thinking. Some of you are at home, you're watching online and you're actually processing because of how life is playing out currently that God has forgotten about you. And even if you haven't said it out loud, you know, there's ways to say it out loud that are really blunt. Like maybe you said to someone, I feel like God's forgotten me. I don't think God cares about me. But I think sometimes it just comes out of our mouth with other phrases that we say instead of the real blunt ones. Like in the difficult times and seasons of life, if something were to happen, if if you regularly hear yourself saying things like this, well, that figures. Oh, that's typical. Oh, that sounds about right. Oh, that's par for the course. There's these phrases that we say in the midst of difficult seasons and times which actually get at something that's going on on the inside. When I say, 
that figures, what I'm saying is, God, you're not even paying attention. When I say that's so typical, what I'm saying is more times than not, God, I feel like you really aren't paying attention to what's going on. How often do we ask for the removing of something hard and difficult instead of asking God to grow us into someone who walks through difficulty with hope because of his promise to walk with us? His presence, his promises. I'm not Gideon, but man, I can relate. Gideon then says, and where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord's forsaken us. He's given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Verse 15 says, and he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So, in the midst of Gideon's forgetfulness, in the midst of Gideon's fear, God does what God does because he's God. (laughs) He reminds him of his presence reminds him of his promise and says, I will be with you. Verse 17 says, and he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speaks with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you, bring out my present and set it before you. And he said to him, okay, I'll stay until you return. So Gideon, just to keep moving the story forward, He runs inside to make a meal for his guests. Like that's the present that he wants to give. He wants to give a meal for his unexpected guests. But it turns out that the meal just is an offering because when the angel of the Lord touched the meal with the tip of his staff, it was burned up in an instant in front of Gideon's face. And you know what Gideon does in that moment? He builds an altar. And you know what he names the altar? It says there, you could see it if you're following along with me. It says, the Lord is peace because of course he is even in the middle of judges even in the midst of all the crazy and all the bloodshed and the stuff that just makes our head spin right and i don't want you to miss it because god's grace is all over the pages of scripture the lord is peace so then Gideon's told to, to build an altar to the Lord and he was told to tear down the existing altar that was currently being used to worship the false gods, the Canaanite deities, because that's, listen, that's what the children of Israel were continually doing, right? And one more quick detail on that, the existing altar that he's supposed to tear down that worshiped the Canaanite deities, that was actually put up by Gideon's father. <laughs> yeah, good times. And just as a reminder, it's not that they don't worship God. It's that they keep attempting to mingle the worship of God with the worship of all the other idols. Like this is the issue. There is something to this. You should have no other gods before me idea, right? Michael Wicklock says it this way. I thought it was really good. He said, the gods have not changed for human nature has not changed. And these are the gods that human, humanity regularly recreates for itself. 
Well, what does it want? If it's modest, security and comfort and reasonable enjoyment. But if it's ambitious, power and wealth and unbridled self-indulgence. In every age, there are forces at work which promise to meet our desires. Listen carefully. Whether political programs, economic theories, career options, philosophies, lifestyle options, entertainment programs, all having one feature in common. They promise that they can make our lives better than we can make them ourselves. Yet at the same time, they appear amendable to our manipulating them so that we can get what we want without losing our independence. Here is the enemy among us. We say we worship the Lord, but the world has crept in and controls our heart. As the story unfolds, Gideon destroys the altars in the middle of the night. The Lord is with him. But again, I think it's worth us looking at our own lives and asking, is there anything currently in your life? That's right, if I could say it this way, beside the Lord that you are also attempting to worship with your life. As Charlie referenced famous quote a few weeks ago, our hearts are an idol making factory. It is this reminder, we see it here and it's good for all of us to ponder. Um, the Lord is interested in each and every part of our life. What I'm saying is this, while you might be pretty good at compartmentalization, he's not a compartmentalized God. So the altars to false gods are torn down, altars to the Lord are built up. And now the challenge continues because the Midianites are ready to attack again. They're actually camped out at this time in the Jezreel Valley where we earlier studied and read about Barak fighting Sisera and the 900 chariots. You remember that from a few weeks ago? So Gideon, here's what he does. He rallies some troops. Here we go. The Lord has told me that we're gonna take them out, right? Uh, Lord, listen, um, <clears throat> before, we, before we go, um, I'm gonna... I'm going to need a sign before moving forward. I know I've already seen the meal be burned up in front of my eyes by an angel of the Lord that appeared out of nowhere. And I've seen you deliver me from those that just wanted to kill me because I tore down their altar to the foreign gods. And I know they're now actually ready to go to battle with me, right? but uh, I'm gonna need a sign. So here's my idea. Uh, I'm gonna put out a fleece, and if there's just dew on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I know you got me. And that's exactly what happened. He filled up a whole bowl full of dew when he wrung out the fleece, yet the ground dry. Here we go, in the battle. Now we're ready. Yeah, hey, Lord, um, one more small ask. Uh, don't be upset. Uh, what if we, uh, it's just an idea. <laughs> what if we did that fleece thing again? We, ju we just did it in reverse, right? 
So if you could let the ground be soaking wet and the fleece dry, then, then, I, know you, then I know you got me. And it says, and God did as Gideon requested. <laughs> now there's a lot of thought and commentary on the Gideon and God and fleece situation. And I'll simply say this. This is not an example for us to follow on how to make decisions in life, okay? Right? Um, I would chuckle because some people have taught it that way. And if you're honest and you want to tell a fun story when you get to community group, just share the time that you actually did this, right? Lord, if you want me to take this job, have that phone ring right now. 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 Right? Lord, if she is the one, let me receive a text within the next three minutes. Six minutes. Any time in the next week and a half will be great. Here's what we see. What we see is um, we see God meet Gideon in his desire to, to build up his faith. And God does desire to give us a picture of who he is and in doing so grow our faith. But what I just want to remind all of us this morning of, he has actually already done that through his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. I remember, I was recalling Hebrews 1, which says, because I think it ties in here. In the past, including the time of Gideon, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In this crazy story, we're reminded that, God's, that God in his mercy and kindness, he's patient with those of us who have weak faith. I'm not Gideon, you're not Gideon. But man, I can relate. I'm forgetful. I need the reminder of God's presence and God's promises. Side note, just real quick. That is a piece of what this is when we gather every week. You understand that, right? We come together as followers of Jesus to be reminded of his presence and his promises. To look at his word that he has given to us. To have our gaze fixed once again upon Jesus. Well, if you think the story is a little crazy so far, it's going to get crazier. So we have Gideon and his men. They're ready for battle. The Midianite crew, again, they've been plundering and robbing and picking on Israel for seven years. But the Lord says, Gideon, I know you've got your group of men together. I think you have, I think you have too many men. Because when you defeat them, and I've told you you're going to defeat them, but when you defeat them, every one of your group here, you might become a little prideful, you might become a little arrogant, you might become a little forgetful about my deliverance. And you would go, well, why would God say that? Well, God knows the history, like he's been here the whole time. Like he knows how this has already been playing out, Right? He knows they're forgetful and prideful. So this is the plan. And you can read this at your leisure. I'm just kind of walking through the story. But uh, he says, call everybody, to, you know, get everybody. And you just let them know that there's 32,000 of them. You can let them know that any of them that are a little nervous or a little scared and really don't want to fight, that they can go home. Oh, okay. So Gideon gets everybody together. And he goes, hey, listen, uh, just heads up. If you're a little nervous about fighting, and you don't really want to go to war with these people that have been, you know, kicking our tail over the last seven years in particular. I just want to let you know, you really don't, ha you really don't have to fight. You don't have to go to the battle. 
So just imagine, right, you're in the crowd and the leader just said that. And you're like, I don't have to go. And like one guy starts to walk off and then another guy follows him and you're like Gideon and you're watching as people begin to disperse. And you're like, oh man, this isn't going like I thought it was gonna go. And like 20 minutes later, what was 32,000 is down to 10,000. 22,000 say, yeah, man, I good. I did not wanna do that. I did not, <laughs> did not wanna fight. So I'm gonna head back to the house. Good luck with that. It is a little, like I'm telling the story, it is actually a little comical. 10,000, that's pretty good. I mean, 10,000 is fine. Like we go, I mean, the Lord said we got them. And then there's like, and I don't have time to get into it, but there's this water test. And uh, the water test takes the group of folks who are getting ready to walk into battle with Gideon from 10,000 to 300. From 32,000, short period of time, now I got 300 to go to battle with. Like here, this is just like for perspective, this is from the equivalent of the Atlanta Braves Stadium on a pretty full night to Auditorium 2 on a pretty full Sunday. Like that's, like those are the numbers. And again, here's the point. This is the point. I want everybody to remember who's actually bringing you this victory. Why? Because maybe you can relate, but people are known for being forgetful and prideful. So now they are ready for battle and just the odds, just so you know, there's about 135,000 in the Midianite army. So that's gonna be about 450 to one is what we're getting ready to walk into, all right? Just so you know. And this is what it says, Judges 7, look at verse nine. It says, the same night the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp for I have given it into your hand. Verse 10, but if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So get a load of this. This is so, just don't ever want you to miss the kindness of God. Even in this moment, I've told you, I've told you, I've told you. Hey, listen, I know we just went from 32,000 to 300, so maybe you're a little nervous again. I've given them into your hand, but here's the deal. If you're afraid, because I know you get in, if you're afraid, just go down and eavesdrop in on camp and what they're talking about. That's how this is playing out, right? So Gideon, being Gideon, goes, yeah, I'm gonna take you, yeah, that's good. I'm gonna take you, right on. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna walk down, kind of listen in, spy a little bit. And when he's sneaking around, and again, you can go read this at your leisure. When he's sneaking around, he hears one of the Midianites telling another Midianite about a dream that he had had. And he's eavesdropping in, and the dream is this dream, which is a great dream. Hey, I had a dream that a loaf of bread came falling from the sky into camp, and it knocked over a tent here in the camp. And the Midianite friend says to the other Midianite, well, I know what that dream means. That means that Gideon's going to take us out. That means that God has handed us over to him. And Gideon hears this whole conversation taking place. And verse 15 tells us when Gideon overheard that, he bowed down in worship, walked back to camp, looked at the 300, and he said, all right, now it's time. Here we go. Here are your weapons for war. You get a trumpet and you get a clay jar. And you get a trumpet and you get a clay jar. And you get a trumpet and you get a clay jar. And remember, you're one of these 300s who stuck it out. I'll fight. What do I got here to work with? 
Okay, a trumpet and a clay jar. Oh yeah, and Gideon's telling him, when you go into the camp to attack them, just make sure you shout real loud. Isn't the Bible great? Like, this is great. I love it. And of course, that's exactly what they do. And when they're all going in and they're screaming and they're busting the clay pots and all the light and all the things, there's mass confusion in the camp. And you can read about this. Everyone kind of starts running. And the Midianites start attacking each other because they're so confused. So they're killing each other with their swords, mass confusion. And then they take off running and, and Gideon and his men chase after them. And as they're chasing after them, the Midianites soon encountered the men of Ephraim because Gideon had them waiting. He's a really smart dude. He had called in some backup. So we're gonna attack them. There's gonna be what? And the Lord said he's given to us and they're gonna take off. And when they take off, we're gonna chase after them and you guys be waiting on them. This is how it plays out. Victory. Now, wouldn't it be great if this is how it wrapped up. And there was peace in the land forever. They worshiped the God of Israel for the rest of their days. See, one of the unique things about Gideon and Israel's poor choices in this downward, as this downward spiral continues to happen, that is continuing to happen while Gideon is around. So like with the other judges that we've looked at so far, after the deliverance, it just says that they uh, enjoyed peace in the land. But not here, we see issues with not only the children of Israel, but also with Gideon himself and his family continues over to play out over a few more chapters of Judges, but I wanna give you the synopsis because I think it's actually really important. Gideon and his men are worn out even though they're still pursuing the Midianite kings. So they chase after them. The men of Ephraim are waiting. A few of the Midianite kings get through those men and so they're gonna keep chasing after them. And they're worn out, but on the pursuit, they stop in two different towns and they ask for some food. Some of their Israelite friends. Gideon says, I need some food for myself and my men. We've been in battle and we're exhausted. And in both towns, they're turned down. No food for you. You know what Gideon says? Gideon says, um, listen, I gotta go catch these guys, but after I catch them, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna tear you apart. That's what he says. And it's interesting, as you continue to read here, God is not central to the story at this point. It's like he's been moved to the side in the midst of what is becoming a story all about Gideon. I'll show you how powerful I am when I get back, Gideon tells the folks who would not give him food, and he does. So how the story plays out is he hunts down and captures the Midianite kings. Once he captures them, he looks at his son who is with him and tells his son to kill them. But it's interesting, just like his dad, when we first met him, his son is really scared and fearful, and so he doesn't do it. So Gideon says, fine, I'll do it myself, and Gideon kills him. We also learn in the story that the Midianite kings, they had killed Gideon's brother, some of his brothers. And so this has turned into a revenge thing for him. You know what else he does? He goes back to the towns, just like he said he would, where they refuse to feed him and his men, and he kills people there. He kills, he kills Israelites. And then, just to keep the story rolling, people wanna make Gideon king. Gideon says no verbally, but with his actions, he says, that'd be a great idea. He wants financial gain for delivering them from their oppressors. Gideon makes an ephod idol. Uh, ephod was worn by the priest and was used to determine God's will back in the day. He makes an ephod idol, puts it in his hometown, 
so that people will come to him for advice and guidance. All of a sudden, over his time, like it's all about glorifying him. As a matter of fact, chapter eight, verse 27, is a pretty powerful verse. Chapter eight, verse 27 says, and Gideon made an ephod of it, it being like the gold earrings and everything that people were given to him, so he's making his own idol. Gideon made an ephod of it, and he put it in his city, in Ophrah, and all Israel whored after it there. That's some pretty strong language, isn't it? And it became a snare to Gideon, a snare to his family. Verse 28 says, so Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. And there you see it again. Forgetfulness, pride. Even after God not only promises to be with them, but so obviously shows up on their behalf. Yes, yes. Remorse for a season, but not lasting repentance. The worship of other things right alongside the attempt to worship God. And if you're honest, maybe you can see some of those same tendencies at times in your life. There is this, uh, there's this interesting mixture of thoughts and feelings for me as I've been studying and processing through the story of Gideon. On one hand, you're thinking, what a humble warrior. And then on the other hand, you're thinking, what a prideful compromiser. He was so fearful and unsure at the beginning. And by the end, he's so brash, so arrogant. And I think this is what's relatable for many of us as we read, study through these chapters. In our weakness, I do think that uh, we often see our need for God. Yet when things are going well, are smooth from our perspective. Maybe we don't evaluate if other things are competing for his rightful place in our hearts and minds. In our weakness, I think we often see our need for God. Yet when things are going well or smooth from our perspective, Maybe we don't regularly evaluate if other things are competing for his rightful place in our hearts and minds. You see, Gideon is mentioned in Hebrews 11. It says this, and what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, Enforce justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So there he is. Mentioned with so many who had great faith. And he did. We'll unpack that even more in the weeks to come. I think the list of all those folks who showed extraordinary faith in Hebrews 11 is actually there to point us to Hebrews 12, 
which says this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, every sin which so clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look at verse two. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hey, friends, do you desire to be reminded of the presence and the promise of God instead of walking through life forgetful and prideful? If so, my encouragement to you is to look no further than Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of your faith. Do you want to walk in repentance and not just live from regret to regret? Because that's the story for some of you here today. This remorse to remorse, burdened under the consequences of your choices until those consequences are gone, and then right back to doing what you were doing. If you want to walk in repentance and not just live from remorse to remorse and regret to regret, then I want to encourage you, look to Jesus, who endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding on your behalf 24-7. Not only do I encourage you to look to Jesus and remind yourself of the hope of the gospel, I actually wanna close our time today by challenging you to truly evaluate the false gospels that are constantly surrounding us. The idols of the heart that are preaching the opposite of what Jesus has proclaimed. I have a list that I keep on my desk. I look at it often. It's from author Paul Tripp. It's nine questions about false gospels that are constantly tempting us, especially in the midst of our forgetfulness. I'm not going to expound upon all of them. I'm gonna read through them. And I would love for you just to ponder and consider the question as it is. Does pride preach to you a false gospel that tells you that you're righteous and able on your own, not needing God's forgiving and enabling grace? Does bitterness preach to you a false gospel of God's injustice telling you that others have been given what you deserve? Does doubt preach to you a false gospel of fear that robs you of your courage and causes you to question what is actually secure in Christ? Does envy preach to you a false gospel that tells you that God hasn't been as faithful and good to you as he has been to others? Does unforgiveness preach to you a false gospel of judgment that refuses to give others the same grace that you've been given. Listen in. Does legalism preach to you a false gospel of performance that seeks security in what you do rather than what Christ has done for you? 
Does impatience preach to you a false gospel of urgency that keeps you from the blessing of resting in God's perfect timing? Does selfishness preach to you a false gospel of entitlement that causes you to turn blessing into demands? Does success preach to you a false gospel of comfort that causes you to look at the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf with indifference? We're concluding our service this afternoon by taking communion together. And just this reminder, if uh, you're a guest with us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to partake in communion with us today. And if you didn't pick up uh, the communion elements as you came in, now would be a fine time to walk to the back and pick those up if you would like. I'm so thankful that we're actually concluding our service this way today. Because it's an opportunity to be reminded of what has been made available to us in the kindness and grace of God through Jesus Christ. It's an opportunity in this moment to be reminded of his presence, his promise. It's an opportunity for us to acknowledge our tendency to be forgetful, to be prideful, and to intentionally look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. I asked the team if we could do something a little unique before we get into actually taking communion. Johnny will lead us in that in a few minutes. Um, I've been involved in church services for a real long time. And I just think sometimes like uh, it's easy to move on to the next thing, you know? Especially at the end of a message, because you guys have been listening so intently for a while. Did you have questions like that that just popped up on the screen and you kind of move on from them? And by the way, those, all those are in your sermon notes online. If you want to know, they're there. But I actually asked the team before we take communion uh, if they would just put those back up on the screen another minute or two to look at them. Because sometimes you see, not me, not me. Yeah, sometimes, not me. Yeah, but I think for some of the us in this moment, it's like that's, yeah, that's where I'm living right now. And I need to, I need to process through that. Need to process through it with the Lord. Potentially need to process through it with someone else if I need to make something right. And I think the beauty of being able to take communion together while those false gospels scroll <laughs> is that what you hold in your hand is something incredibly symbolic. His body, his blood. His reminder of his promise and his presence. Don't be afraid to do the heart work heart work process through listen well to the spirit and then partake of the bread and the cup and celebrate this his grace 
His grace.